Since last Sunday, when I began to prepare for this weekend's sermon, I, I found myself rolling my eyes and mumbling and whining, Oh Lord, please, not this gospel text. Please, I hate talking about money. I really do. But it is what it is. Now, up to this point in the gospel, Jesus and the religious authorities had been locking horns. In chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, Jesus drove out those who took over the court of the Gentiles, the only place non-Jews could come and worship God at the temple. And they took it over because they wanted the space to sell the animals that were used in the sacrificial rites. And there was also, they needed room for the money changers, folks who set up the tables to exchange foreign coin for the temple shekel. In chapter 11, verses 27 through 33, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders approached Jesus, demanding an explanation. But Jesus reduced them to silence when he insisted that they had to answer his question first. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Well, knowing that no matter how they answered the question, they would be found at fault, they refused to answer. And Jesus then refused to answer by what authority he cleansed the temple. Then the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus by asking him a politically loaded question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the Lord reduced them to silence by telling them very simply, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And then the Sadducees attempted to trick Jesus with a question about the nature of the resurrection, which they denied. And so mockingly, they gave him the example of a woman who had several husbands. Which wife would she be to which husband in the resurrection? And Jesus reduced them to silence by showing two things, how ignorant they were about the resurrection and how ignorant they were about the scriptures. So Jesus has made a number of enemies among the religious authorities because he told the truth. He didn't soft-pedal the truth. He didn't couch it or frame it in politically correct language so no one would be offended. It's always pointless to do that anyway because the truth will always offend those who insist on clinging to error. And as we heard in our text this morning, Jesus took on another particularly powerful group within the Judaism of his day, the scribes. They were professional lawyers slash theologians. They were used to being greeted with tremendous respect. They would wear distinctive clothing so they would stick out among the people. And Jesus said, beware of the scribes. The Greek text reads, blebite apoton grammateon. The key word is blebite, from the verb plebo. It's used 130 times in scripture. It has a range of meanings, however, that are very different from our English translation of 
beware. It really means to have the faculty of sight, to see, to have an eye to see, to exercise sight. You wouldn't think you have to exercise sight, but spiritually, we most certainly do. In other words, says the Lord to the people and to the scribes, open your eyes to see what's really going on. You know, sometimes we're so used to seeing things, we don't really see them at all. Other times, we don't want to see how things really are. We much prefer to remain in the darkness of our ignorance and just blithely go along. Now, Jesus did not condemn all scribes. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he praised some of them because they had to begun to discover the truth. But here he challenged these scribes who were abusing their high social and religious status to exploit the most defenseless of their society, widows. In Jesus' day, a widow was not permitted to inherit property from her husband unless she had sons to whom the estate would be passed on. If I remember the law correctly, a widow was permitted to live in her house for two years, after which the estate passed to her sons, or if she didn't have sons, it would go to her husband's family. The law required that she would receive an allowance to live on. Nice theory, but oftentimes it was never practiced. Without sons, without the allowance, without any prospect for another marriage, a widow became destitute. She was one of the most vulnerable people of her society. And throughout the Old Testament, the maltreatment of a widow is abhorrent to God, worthy of severe judgment. Jesus was urging both the people and the scribes to see the tremendous spiritual danger when one thinks as his exalted status as a form of entitlement that gives one the right to exploit the poor, the vulnerable, warning it will only lead to severe condemnation. This is the spiritual danger that all clergy, whatever their church, whatever their religion, and I might add, all people in positions of authority and trust must face. But then the gospel quickly shifts, and we see Jesus in the temple treasury, people watching. In the treasury, there would have been 13 humongous chests. They were kind of like upside-down trumpets. That was the shape of these chests. And they'd be marked for a different, don't, well, you put your donation for a different thing. And people were coming along and dropping their money into the funnel of these chests. And so the rich come along, and they put their money. You know, could you imagine a big bag of silver or gold coins? You drop it in, and it hits Bob and go, boom! It would be an impressive sound, wouldn't it? It'd make a lot of people go, oh, he put a lot in. No, my, my, my. Well, then this poor widow comes, and she makes her contribution. Now, that description, poor widow, underscores that this was a woman who not only lost her husband, but she had no sons to care for her, no allowance, 
and no prospects to marry again. She was destitute. And she contributed how many coins? Actually, the text says two small copper coins. So here were the rich. They plopped their big bags of gold and silver. Boom! Here's the widow. Tink. Hardly a sound. Her gift was worth one sixty-fourth of a daily laborer's wage. Now that woman had every right to keep those coins for herself, or maybe just put one in and keep the other, where she might have been able to buy a little bit of bread that, for her daily meal. But she didn't. She freely gave both Coins. And then Jesus called his disciples over to him. He called his church, just as he's calling you and I this morning. For what? Plebo. To see that she gave more than the rich did because she gave out of her poverty, whereas the rich gave out of their surplus. To see that she gave more because she loved God more, to see that she held nothing back because she trusted in God's love for her. How much one should give to his or her church or charity is a private matter of conscience. Jesus did not reject what the rich gave. But he did praise the donation of that poor widow who gave all she had. Each was free to decide what to contribute, just as we are. But we are asked to see that it's not the amount, but the intention one has. It's not the quantity, but the love with which it is given that matters most to the Lord.